Chapter Five of Heroines of Service. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynette Calkins, Monument, Colorado. Heroines of Service by Mary Rosetta Parkman. Chapter Five. Juliet Ward Howe, the singer of a nation's song. We have told the story of our mother's life, possibly at too great length, but she herself told it in eight words. Tell me, Maud asked her once, what is the ideal aim of life? She paused a moment and replied, dwelling thoughtfully on each word. To learn, to teach, to serve, to enjoy. Life of Juliet Ward Howe The Singer of a Nation's Song Two little girls were rolling hoops along the street when they suddenly caught them over their little bare arms and drew up close to the railings of a house on the corner. "'There is the wonderful coach and the little girl I told you about, Eliza,' whispered Marietta, pushing back the straw bonnet that shaded her face from the sun and pointing with her stick. It was truly a magnificent yellow coach, pulled by two proud gray horses. Even Cinderella's golden equipage could not have been more splendid.' Moreover, the little girl who sat perched upon the bright blue cushioned seat wore an elegant blue pelisse that just matched the heavenly color of the lining, and a yellow satin bonnet that was clearly inspired by the straw-colored outer shell of the chariot itself. The fair chubby face under the satin halo was turned toward the children, and a pair of clear gray eyes regarded them with eager interest. "'She looked as if she wanted to speak,' said Marietta breathlessly. Oh, Eliza, did you ever see anyone so beautiful? Just like a doll or a fairy tale princess. Huh, cried Eliza, the scornful. Didn't you see that she has red hair? Who ever heard of a doll or a princess with red hair? Maybe a witch or a bad fairy turned her spun gold locks red for spite, suggested Marietta. Anyway, I wouldn't mind red hair if I was in her place, so rich and all. Wouldn't it be grand to ride in a fine coach and have everything you want even before you stop to wish for it? How astonished Marietta would have been if she could have known that the little lady in the chariot was wishing that she were a little girl with a hoop. For even when she was very small, Julia Ward had other trials besides the red hair. Nowadays, people realize that red-gold hair is a true crowning glory, but it wasn't the style to like it in 1825 at the time this story begins. So little Julia's mother tried her best to tone down the bright color with sobering washes and leaden combs. One day, however, the child heard a visitor say, "'Your little girl is very beautiful. Her hair is pretty, too, with that lovely complexion.' Eagerly, Julia climbed upon a chair and then on the high, old-fashioned dressing table so that she could gaze in the mirror to her heart's content. "'Is that all?' she cried after a moment and scrambled down, greatly disappointed. Eliza and Marietta would have been truly amazed if they had known that the little queen of the splendid coach had very little chance for the good times that a child loves. In these days, I really believe that people would pity her and say, "'Poor little rich girl!' She was brought up with the greatest strictness. There were many lessons, French, Latin, music, and dancing, for she must have an education that would fit her to shine in her high station. When she went out for an airing, it was always in the big coach, like a little lady. There was never a chance for a hop, skip, and jump play hour. 
her delicate cambric dresses and kid slippers were only suited to sedate indoor ways and even when she was taken to the seashore for a holiday her face was covered with a thick green veil to keep her fair skin from all spot and blemish dignity and duty were the guardian geniuses of julia ward's childhood her father samuel ward was a rich new york banker with a fine american sense of noblesse oblige he believed that a man's wealth and influence spell strict accountability to his country and to god and he lived according to that belief he believed that as a banker his most vital concern was not to make himself richer and richer but to manage money matters in such a way as to serve his city and the nation as a whole in those times of financial stress which came to america in the early part of the nineteenth century his heroic efforts more than once enabled his bank to weather a financial storm and uphold the credit of the state on one occasion his loyalty and unflagging zeal secured a loan of five million dollars from the bank of england in the nick of time to avert disaster julia cried her brother who had just come in from wall street men have been going up and down the office stairs all day long carrying little wooden kegs of gold on their backs marked prime ward and king and filled with english gold mr ward however did not see the triumphal procession of the kegs he was prostrated by a severe illness due it was said to his too exacting labors years afterward mr ward's daughter said that her best inheritance from the old firm was the fact that her father had procured this loan which saved the honor of the empire state from the time i was a tiny child said julia ward i had heard stories of my ancestors colonial governors and officers in the revolution among whom were numbered general nathaniel green and general marion the swamp fox whose fortress was the good green wood whose tent the cypress tree when i thought of the brave and honorable men and the fair and prudent wives and daughters of the line they seemed to pass before my unworthy self terrible as an army with banners but there was too the trumpet call of inspiration in the thought that they were truly mine own people if a sense of duty and the trumpet call of her forebears urged little julia on to application in her early years she soon learned to love study for its own sake when at nine years of age she began to attend school she listened to such purpose to the recitations of a class in italian that she presently handed to the astonished principal a letter correctly written in that language begging to be admitted to the study of the tongue whose soft musical vowels had charmed her ear she had not only aptitude but genuine fondness for languages and early tried various experiments in the use of her own when a child of ten she began to write verse and thereafter the expression of her thoughts and feelings in poetic form was as natural as breathing if you could have seen some of the solemn verses entitled all things shall pass and we return no more written by the child not yet in her teens you might have said what an extraordinary little girl has she always been ill or has she never had a chance for a good time it was certainly true that life seemed a very serious thing to the child her eyes were continually turned inward for they had not been taught to discover and enjoy the things of interest and delight in the real world new york was in that interesting stage of its growth that followed upon the opening of the erie canal not yet a city of foreigners the melting pot of all nations the commercial opportunities which better communication with the great lakes section gave caused unparalleled prosperity in eighteen thirty five the metropolis had a population of two hundred thousand 
but broadway was still in large part a street of dignified brick residences with bright green blinds and brass knockers along which little girls could roll their hoops canal street was a popular boulevard with a canal bordered by trees running through the centre and a driveway on either side and the district neighbouring on the battery and castle garden was still a place of wealth and fashion it is to be doubted however if julia ward ever saw anything on her drives to call her out of her daydreaming self nor had she eyes for the marvels of nature the larkspurs and laburnums in the garden had no language that she could understand i grew up she said with the city measure of the universe my own house somebody else's the trees in the park a strip of blue sky overhead and a great deal about nature read from the best authors most of which meant nothing at all years later i learned to enjoy the drowsy murmur of green fields in midsummer the song of birds and the ways of shy wood flowers when my own children opened the door into that mighty world of eye and ear when julia was sixteen the return of her brother from germany opened a new door of existence to her she had just left school and had begun to study in real earnest so serious was she in her devotion to her self-imposed tasks that she sometimes bade a maid tie her in a chair for a certain period thus in bonds with a mind set free from all temptation to rome she wrestled with the difficulties of german grammar and came off victorious but brother sam led her to an appreciation of something besides the poetry of schiller and goethe he had a keen and wholesome enjoyment of the world of people and in the end succeeded in giving his sister a taste of natural youthful gaiety but brother sam led her to an appreciation of something besides the poetry of schiller and goethe he had a keen and wholesome enjoyment of the world of people and in the end succeeded in giving his young sister a taste of natural youthful gaiety sir said samuel jr to his father one evening you do not keep in view the importance of the social tie the social what asked the amazed puritan the social tie sir i make small account of that rejoined the father coldly i will die in defence of it retorted the son hotly the young man found however that it was more agreeable to live for the social tie than to die for it and julia beginning to long for something besides family evenings with books and music varied by an occasional lecture or a visit to the house of an uncle seemed to herself like a young damsel of olden times shut up within an enchanted castle when she was nineteen she decided upon a declaration of independence if she could only muster the courage to meet her affectionate jailer face to face she thought that the bars of his prejudice against fashionable society must surely fall i'm going to give a party a party of my very own she announced to her brothers and you must help me with the list of guests having obtained her father's permission to invite a few friends to spend the evening she set about her preparations this first party of her young life should she resolved be correct in every detail the best caterer in new york was engaged and a popular group of musicians she even introduced a splendid cut-glass chandelier to supplement the conservative lighting of the drawing-room my first party must be a brilliant success she said with a smile and a determined tilt of her chin a brilliant company was gathered to do the debutante honor on the occasion of her audacious entry into society mr ward showed no surprise however when he descended the stairs and appeared upon the festive scene 
he greeted the guests courteously and watched the dancing without apparent displeasure julia herself betrayed no more excitement than seemed natural to the acknowledged belle of the evening but her heart was beating in a fashion not quite in tune with the music of the fiddles when the last guest had departed she went according to custom to bid her father good night and now came the greatest surprise of all mr ward took the young girl's hand in his my daughter he said with tender gravity i was surprised to see that your idea of a few friends differed widely from mine after this you need not hesitate to consult me freely and frankly about what you want to do then kissing her good night with his usual affection he dismissed the subject forever julia's brief skirmish for independence proved not a rebellion but a revolution her brother's marriage to miss emily astor introduced an era of gaiety at this time and when the young girl had once fairly taken her place in society there was no such thing as going back to the old life jolly julie as she was lovingly called in the home circle became a reigning favorite even rumors of her amazing blue stocking tendencies could not spoil her success it was whispered that she was given to quoting german philosophy and french poetry i believe she dreams in italian vowed one greatly awed damsel however that might be jolly julie certainly had a place in the dreams of many her beauty and charm won all hearts the bright hair was now an acknowledged glory above the apple-blossom fairness of her youthful bloom but it was not alone the loveliness of the delicately moulded features and the tender brightness of the clear grey eyes that made her a success notwithstanding the early neglect of the social tie it was soon plain that she had the unfailing tact the ready wit and native good humour that are the chief assets of the social leader who is born to the purple besides miss ward's unusual acquirements could be turned so as to masquerade in their rosy linings as accomplishments her musical gifts were not reserved for hours of solitary musing but were freely devoted to the pleasure of her friends and even the lofty poetic muse could on occasion indulge in a comic gamble to the great delight of her intimates miss ward soon tried her wings in other spheres beyond new york she found a ready welcome in boston's select inner circle where she made the acquaintance of longfellow emerson whittier holm and other leading figures in the literary world charles sumner the brilliant statesman and reformer was an intimate friend of her brother and through him she met dr samuel gridley howe who not long after became her husband from both longfellow and sumner miss ward had heard glowing accounts of their friend howe who was as they declared the truest hero that america and the nineteenth century had produced and the best of good comrades he had earned the name of chevalier among his friends because he was a true bayard without fear and without reproach and because he had moreover been made a knight of st george by the king of greece for distinguished services during the greek war for independence for six years he had fought with the patriots both in the field and as surgeon-in-chief while in hiding with his wounded among the bare rocks of the heights he had sometimes nothing to eat but roasted wasps and mountain snails when the people were without food he had returned to america related far and wide the story of greece's troubles and dire need and brought back a shipload of food and clothing having relieved the distress of the people he had helped them to get in touch with normal existence once more by putting them to work a hospital was built and a mole to enclose the harbor at aegina 
then after seeing the hitherto distracted peasants begin a new life as self-respecting farmers he had returned to america at this time he was doing pioneer work in the education of the blind as director of the perkins institution in boston he was not only laboring to make more efficient this first school for the blind in america but he was also going about through the country with his pupils to show something of what might be done in the way of practical training in order to induce the legislatures of the several states to provide similar institutions for those deprived of sight in particular dr howe's success in teaching laura bridgman a blind deaf butte was the marvel of the civilized world one day when longfellow and sumner were calling upon miss ward they suggested driving over to the perkins institution when they arrived the hero of the hour and the place was absent before they left however mr sumner who had been looking out of the window suddenly exclaimed there is howe now on his black horse miss ward looked with considerable eagerness in her curiosity and saw as she afterwards said a noble rider on a noble steed in this way the chevalier rode into the life of the fair lady as the knight of the ballad swung the maiden of his choice to the croup of his charger and galloped off with her in the face of her helpless kinsman so this serious philanthropist and reformer carried off the lovely society favorite in spite of the fact that he cared not at all for her gay carefree world and was moreover twenty years her senior the following portion of a letter which miss ward wrote to her brother sam shows how completely she was won the chevalier says truly i am the captive of his bow and spear his true devotion has won me from the world and from myself the past is already fading from my sight already i begin to live with him in the future which shall be as calmly bright as true love can make it i am perfectly satisfied to sacrifice to one so noble and earnest the daydreams of my youth dr howe and his bride went to europe on their wedding trip on the same steamer with horace mann and his newly made wife mary peabody the sister of mrs nathaniel hawthorne the teacher of laura bridgman was well known in england through dickinson's american notes and people were anxious to do him honor dickens not only invited the interesting americans to dinner but he offered to pilot dr howe and his brother reformer horace mann about darkest london and show them the haunts of misery and crime which no one knew better than the author of oliver twist little dorrit and bleak house the following note written in dickens's characteristic hand shows the zest with which the great novelist undertook these expeditions and his boyish love of fun my dear howe drive to-night to st giles church be there at half-past eleven and wait somebody will put his head into the coach after a venetian and mysterious fashion and breathe your name follow that man trust him to the death so no more at present from ninth june eighteen forty three the mask it had been the plan to go from england to berlin but dr howe who had once incurred the displeasure of the king of prussia by giving aid to certain polish refugees and had indeed been held for five weeks in a german prison was now excluded from the country as a dangerous person this greatly amused horace mann who remarked when we consider that his majesty has two hundred thousand men constantly under arms and can in need increase the number to two million we begin to appreciate the estimation in which he holds your single self when some years later the king sent dr howe a medal in recognition of his work for the blind the chevalier declared laughingly 
It is worth just what I was obliged to pay for board and lodging while in the Berlin prison. His Majesty is magnanimous. After traveling through Switzerland, Italy, and France, the house stopped for a second visit to England, where they were entertained for a time by the parents of Florence Nightingale. A warm attachment sprang up between them and the earnest young woman of twenty-four. "'I want to ask your advice, Dr. Howe,' said Miss Nightingale one day. "'Would it be unsuitable for a young Englishwoman to devote herself to works of charity in hospitals and wherever needed, just as the Catholic sisters do?' The doctor replied gravely, "'My dear Miss Florence, it would be unusual, and in England whatever is unusual is apt to be thought unsuitable.' But I say to you, go forward. If you have a vocation for that way of life, act up to your inspiration, and you will find that there is never anything unbecoming or unladylike in doing your duty for the good of others. After the house had returned to Boston and settled down to the workaday order in the institution, the young wife's loyalty to the new life was often sorely tried. She loved the sunshine of the bright, gracious world of leisurely happy people, and she felt herself chilled in this bleak gray place of sober duties. If only she could warm herself at the fire of friendship oftener. But all the pleasant people lived in pleasant places too far from the South Boston Institution for the give and take of easy intercourse. Dr. Howe, moreover, was much of the time so absorbed in the causes of which he was champion-in-chief that few hours were saved for quiet fireside enjoyment. I hardly know what I should have done in those days, said Mrs. Howe, without the companionship of my babies and Miss Catherine Beecher's cookbook. The Chevalier loved to invite for a weekly dinner his especial group of intimates, five choice spirits, among whom Longfellow and Sumner were numbered, who styled themselves the Five of Clubs. These dinners brought many new problems to the young hostess, who now wished that some portion of her girlhood days lavished on Italian and music had been devoted to the more intimate side of menus. However, she was before long able to take pride in her puddings without renouncing poetry, and to keep an eye on the economy of the kitchen and her sense of humor at the same time, as the following extract from a breezy letter to her sister Louisa can testify. Our house has been enlivened of late by two delightful visits. The first was from the soap fat merchant, who gave me thirty-four pounds of good soap for my grease. I was quite beside myself with joy, capered about in the most enthusiastic manner, and was going to hug in turn the soap, the grease, and the man, when I reflected that it would not sound well in history. This morning came the ragman, who takes rags and gives nice tin vessels in exchange. Both of these were clever transactions." Oh, if you had seen me stand by the soap-fat man and scrutinize his weights and measures, telling him again and again that it was beautiful grease and that he must allow me a good price for it, truly I am a mother in Israel. The hours spent with her wee daughters were happy times. Sometimes she improvised jingles to amuse baby Flossie, Florence after Florence Nightingale, and teased the absorbed father reformer at the same time. Rero, rero, riddly rad, this morning my baby caught sight of her dad, quoth she, Oh, daddy, where have you been, with man in summer a-putting down sin? Sometimes she sang little bedtime rhymes about lambs and baby birds, sheep and sleep, and when the small auditors demanded that their particular pets have a part in the song, readily added, The little donkey in the stable sleeps as sound as he is able, all things now their rest pursue. You are sleepy, too. 
as soon as dr howe could find a suitable place near the institution he moved his little family into a home of their own on the bright summer day when mrs howe drove under the bower formed by the fine old trees that guarded the house she exclaimed oh this is green peace and green peace their home was called from that day the children enjoyed here healthful outdoor times and happy indoor frolics plays given at their dolls theatre when father and mother worked the puppets to a dialogue of squeaks and grunts and really truly plays such as the three bears when father distinguished himself as the great big huge bear the rose and the ring and bluebeard in the midst of the joys and cares of such a rich home life how was it that the busy mother still found time for study and writing for she was always a student keeping her mind in training as an athlete keeps his muscles and the need of finding expression in words for her inner life became more insistent as time went on one of her daughters once said it was a matter of course to us children that papa and mamma should play with us sing to us tell us stories bathe our bumps and accompany us to the dentist these were the things that papas and mammas did looking back now with some realization of all the other things they did we wonder how they managed it for one thing both were rapid workers for another both had the power of leading and inspiring others to work for a third so far as we can see neither wasted a moment for a fourth neither ever reached a point where there was not some other task ahead to be begun as soon as might be life with the beloved reformer was often far from easy but there were never any regrets for the old carefree days i shipped as captain's mate for the voyage she said on one occasion with a merry laugh that was like a heartening cheer and then she added seriously i cannot imagine a more useful motto for married life always she realized that she owed all that was deepest and most steadfast in herself to this union but for the chevalier i should have been merely a woman of the world and a literary dabbler she said a volume of verse passion flowers was praised by longfellow and whittier and won a wide popularity a later collection words for the hour was on the whole better but not so much read still the woman felt that she had not yet really found herself in her work she longed to give something that was vital something that would fill a need and make a difference to people in the real world of action the days of the civil war made every earnest spirit long to be of some service to the nation and to humanity dr howe and his friend were among the leaders of the abolitionists at the time when they were a despised party of cranks and martyrs it was small wonder that when the struggle came mrs howe's soul was fired with the desire to help there seemed nothing that she could do but scrape lint for the hospitals which any other woman could do equally well if only her poetic gift were not such a slender reed if she could but command an instrument of trumpet strength to voice the spirit of the hour in this mood she had gone to washington to see a review of the troops on returning while her carriage was delayed by the marching regiments her companions tried to relieve the tensity and tedium of the wait by singing war songs among others john brown's body lies a mouldering in the grave his soul is marching on the passing soldiers caught at this with a good for you and joined in the chorus mrs howe said her minister james freeman clark who was one of the company why do you not write some really worthy words for that stirring tune i have often wished to do so she replied 
let us tell the story of the writing of the nation's song as her daughters have told it in the biography of their mother waking in the gray of the next morning as she lay waiting for the dawn the word came to her mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the lord she lay perfectly still line by line stanza by stanza the words came sweeping on with the rhythm of marching feet pauseless resistless she saw the long lines swinging into place before her eyes heard the voice of the nation speaking through her lips she waited till the voice was silent till the last line was ended then sprang from bed and groping for pen and paper scrawled in the gray twilight the battle hymn of the republic and so the nation's song was born how did it come to pass that the people knew it as their own when it appeared in the atlantic monthly it called forth little comment the days gave small chance for the poetry of words but some poets in the real world of deeds had seen it the people who were fighting on the nation's battlefields and again and again it was sung and chanted as a prayer before battle and a trumpet call to action a certain fighting chaplain who had committed it to memory sang it one memorable night in libby prison when the joyful tidings of the victory of gettysburg had penetrated even those gloomy walls like a flame the word flashed through the prison men leaped to their feet shouted embraced one another in a frenzy of joy and triumph and chaplain mccabe standing in the middle of the room lifted up his voice and sang mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the lord every voice took up the chorus and libby prison rang with the shout of glory glory hallelujah later when chaplain mccabe related to a great audience in washington the story of that night and ended by singing the battle hymn of the republic as only one who has lived it can sing it the voice of abraham lincoln was heard above the wild applause calling as the tears rolled down his cheeks sing it again it has been said that what a person does in some great moment of his life in a moment of fiery trial or of high exaltation is the result of all the thoughts and deeds of all the slow-changing days so the habits of a lifetime cry out at last is it not true that this nation's song which seemed to write itself in a wonderful moment of inspiration was really the expression of years of brave faithful living all the earnestness of the child all the dreams and warm friendliness of the girl all the tenderness and loyal devotion of the wife and mother speak in those words nor is it the voice of her life alone the trumpet call of her forebears was in those stirring lines only a tried and true american whose people had fought and suffered for freedom's sake could have written that nation's song juliet ward howe's long life of ninety-one years was throughout one of service and inspiration many people were better and happier because of her life it was a great moment when on the occasion of any public gathering the word went around that mrs howe was present with one accord those assembled would rise to their feet and hall or theatre would ring with the inspiring lines of the battle hymn of the republic the man who said i care not who shall make the laws of the nation if i may be permitted to make its songs spoke wisely a true song comes from the heart and goes to the heart a nation's song is the voice of the heart and life of a whole people in it the hearts of many beat together as one end of chapter five Recording by Lynette Calkins, 
Monument, Colorado, 